Uh, we are continuing with our sermon series, uh, The People of the Fine Print. And uh, I kind of been uh, preparing, uh, really, this is my first time actually having a message that's set. This is what I'm going to talk about. Um, I already knew what I was going to be talking about. And that's the story of Onesimus uh, found in the book of Philemon. So uh, if you've never been through the book of Philemon, it's probably because you've accidentally flipped over it uh, a thousand times when flipping somewhere through the New Testament. It's one page long, depending on you know, how your Bible is formatted. 25 verses. Um, I'm going to give some background information before we actually work through it. Uh, but we will make it all the way through the book, all 25 verses. Um, it is the third shortest book in the Bible. I was hoping it'd be, it'd be great if it just happened to be the shortest book because I could be like, this is the shortest book of the Bible, people. We're going to get through it. But it's third. So there's a couple, couple close. Just a few words uh, fewer and it would be there. Uh, but the, the, I, if there was a subtitle for this sermon series, I think it would be this, Ordinary People with Extraordinary Impact. And it's not necessarily the life circumstances that makes their impact so extraordinary. It's their simple obedience to Jesus. And, and really, you and I are people of the fine print. No matter, even though I'm up here right now and I get to be in front of uh, you guys uh, quite frequently and Pastor Rodney's up here, you know, virtually every single Sunday, um, really, we are still, let's, let's, we're not going to get too big for our britches. We're still in Aberdeen, South Dakota small little South Dakota, and we love it, right? We love Aberdeen, yes, amen. Can I get an amen? We love South Dakota, small the way that it is. Um, but, but let's be real, we're all people of the fine print. And even though it may seem like uh, when Pastor Rodney's up here, or whoever's preaching or whoever's <clears throat> leading worship, Trent and team this morning, uh, we're all still people of the fine print. Uh, we all have massive impact, but it's not usually from that big stage moment. It's usually the simple obediences in our life, our simple surrenders that we make to Jesus. So uh, as we unpack this, I want to I kind of set the stage a little bit for this book. So uh, Philemon was a letter that was authored by Paul, the apostle. Uh, most of, a lot of, most of the New Testament was written by the apostle Paul. We've talked extensively about Paul. And Paul will be a even though he is, I definitely wouldn't say, uh, in the fine print. He's got his hand all over the New Testament. He's, he plays a massive part in the story uh, for this letter uh, to Philemon. Uh, so just painting the picture right now, Philemon is one of four books that was written as, while, while Paul was actually in captivity. Paul was arrested for this horrible, horrible thing of just he would not stop telling people about Jesus. Every time they'd tell him to stop doing it in Rome, he just wouldn't listen, and he would keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And there was fear in the Roman Empire at the time that Christianity, with this outgrowth of this, what they considered a cult, uh, that it, it actually threatened the integrity of the Roman Empire. There was worry that what was, what was happening is they were seeing a lot of slaves and people of lower status in, uh, in the Roman Empire come to faith in Jesus. And they were freaked out by that. Uh, the reason was because slavery was very, very big and popular in Rome. Uh, scholars estimate uh, upwards of 20% of the entire population of Rome were actually slaves. And so it was a constant fear of both the emperor and everybody, all, all the, of the Roman officials that what happens if these slaves rise up and it, you know, something that united them against the, the larger state of Rome. And so they were really, really harsh uh, towards slaves, not necessarily uh, slaves, not necessarily harsh in in terms of like the masters that were overseeing the slaves were harsh to them. But if slaves tried to uprise or they tried to run away, 
the, the consequences were extreme. There were, there were uh, in some cases, uh, torture uh, that would be uh, practiced, mo- almost certainly jail time and some sort of extra time that they would have to serve as a slave with their master. But in some cases, extreme cases, masters were actually justified in allowing them to be crucified. So, so for some of the, the it would have been a, maybe not the most common cases, but in some of the cases of runaway slaves, they actually, the slave would have actually been uh, crucified. So this doesn't set a very pretty stage uh, for this story. Um, as we see this young man named Onesimus show up at the Apostle Paul's door. So like I remind you, the Apostle Paul right now is, he's at, on house arrest. Okay, so he's not necessarily in jail. He is imprisoned, but he's imprisoned in his own home. Um, s- similar to what a lot of us faced not that long ago uh, in 2020, uh, he could not leave his home. And if he left his home, it would be very, very, very bad for him. Um, so imagine being Paul, you're already placed on house arrest for the horrible, horrible thing of just telling people about Jesus. You hear a knock at your door, and you go to answer the door, and there you see Onesimus, who uh, Paul would have recognized. Paul would have recognized because uh, Paul uh, actually had a very close personal relationship with Philemon, Onesimus, the slave's master. Uh, and actually, there's a, there's a good chance that Paul, for sure, Paul led Philemon to Christ, but uh, we also, there's, there's suggest, for sure, Paul led, at least at indirectly led Onesimus to Christ, whether that was through Philemon or he actually, through just the preaching of Paul at the church um, in Colossae. So, so Onesimus, just arriving at Paul's door, uh, was left Paul in kind of a difficult situation. Why was it a difficult situation? Well, I remind you, Paul was already imprisoned at this time, and the consequences for, for, uh, for harboring a fugitive slave were not quite the level of crucifixion, but uh, to someone who was already placed on house arrest and then continuing to disturb the peace, disturb the peace, disturb the peace, this would have been a risky move for Paul, a very risky move for Paul indeed. But yet, in this moment, Paul decides to let Onesimus in, and he begins to disciple Onesimus, and he begins to walk through a process of reconciliation with Onesimus. Uh, and I, I just, to start this morning, uh, I'd like you to write this down. It's not actually one of the first points in your notes, but just maybe, maybe if you don't write it down, just spend some time thinking about this. This is the lens that we want to think about this entire message through, and it's this. How much would you be willing to lay down or to lose in order to disciple just one person? What would, you, what, what would you be willing? What's an appropriate cost? You know, it's like, okay, I, I, I'm willing to give up this much of my time in order to disciple one person. Much past that, I don't know if that's going to work out for me. Uh, the cost-benefit ratio might not work out, right? Time's valuable. Time is money. Uh, we got to make sure that we've got, we, we're, we're managing our time well. Well, Paul clearly kind of throws that out the window in this circumstance. Call it the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit. Uh, call him, uh, what I would say, it's actually Paul understood uh, the real message of Jesus. He understood the real cost of being a disciple maker. So we're, with that, we're going to jump into uh, this letter. We're going to read through it. We're going to unpack a few things. And then I've got a few points that I want to get through. And then we're going to close with a story. So if you'd look, I think it'll be on your screen. I'm going to try my best not to butcher these names. There's a few names in the intro and then, so bear with me. Okay, If you know the name, you can shout it out and correct me. Here we go. Philemon, verse 1, Paul, 
a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, would have been Philemon's wife, and uh, Archippus, our fellow soldier, would have been uh, Philemon's son, and the church in your house, okay? So we're going to pause there, right there. So Philemon actually was responsible for housing the entire church of the city of Colossae. So the, the, the text Colossians was actually written to the church that met in Philemon's home. Wouldn't have been a very big church, but Philemon would have been a well-off person. He obviously had slaves, and he had at least a big enough house to, to house a few people um, for church. We were hoping, you know, we were actually wanting to open a new campus, a uh, new life campus, and so I was hoping by the end of the service, if there's one person in this room that would be willing to just give up their home, that we could just kind of take that over. We got any volunteers right now? No? Culturally, that's a little bit of a taboo, right? Church here, home, no church. I, that's where I live. So you're not welcome there. I mean, you are, but not that often. So jump back into the text. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's Paul's greeting. He's establishing, I'm Paul, I'm writing you. Verse four. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And so what we understand, we already understand that Philemon is the leader of this church. He's, he's uh, opening up his home, but he actually is one of the major disciple makers in the church in Colossae. Um, we know this because he's refreshing the hearts of the saints. He's ministering to the saints in Colossae. Continuing on uh, into verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. So I could, I could force you to do this just from my position of being, I'm the Apostle Paul, and God has anointed me and I could do this. But instead, Paul does this. He says, yet... Uh, um, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. He's making an ask. Paul is making an ask of Philemon. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. If you've got a paper Bible and you're comfortable underlining, you like to underline passages, underline my child. I think that's an important thing to pull out of this, uh, out of this scripture. My child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. We're going to pause right there real quick. Paul's actually using, uh, he's, he's, playing, he's playing with words right here. And so he says, he was not useful to you, but now he will be useful. He is useful to you. And maybe, maybe it's true. I don't know. I mean, if, if uh, Onesimus was willing to run away and probably stole some money so that he could you know, support himself, at least in his effort to run away, uh, there's a chance that Onesimus maybe wasn't very, where it wasn't very obedient, wasn't very good. We don't really know that. But what we do know is what Paul is saying is Onesimus actually, his name actually means useful. And so what he's saying is, although Onesimus was not useful to you, now he has become useful. And this is, this is a point that we all need to get out of this message today. You can write this down if you'd like to, but think about this. God's grace restores our name. And so what we see in the life of Onesimus is that his name, meaning useful, where he maybe wasn't useful before, 
Now he accepts the grace of God. He is pursuing reconciliation to the master that he wronged. He's laying his life down before them. And through that process, God restores his name. We see this same thing happen to Paul. Uh, We'll kind of get to that uh, when he was formerly Saul. Now he's Paul. In some cases, he gives us a new name. For most of us, what God does when we accept his grace is he restores our name. He gives us a new reputation, a new covering. Okay, so I think that that's, you write that down or just hopefully kind of tuck that away. Okay, verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. This is very personal to Paul. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but of your own accord. And another translation would say of your own free will. Paul's not wanting to make him do this. He wants, he wants Philemon to make this decision for himself out of right attitude and right uh, proper orientation to God above. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own life, your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Underline even more. What Paul is saying here when he says, knowing that you'll do even more, well, what more could what more could he really be asking Philemon other than just accepting him back and, and, uh, and not, not taking action against him, not, not lifting a hand to harm him or, or get that justice uh, back, you know, enacted for the wrongdoing. What we see here is Paul laying out a request for mercy on behalf of Onesimus. And mercy is what? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's when we deserve punishment, but we are told, no, no punishment will befall you, you're okay. But Paul doesn't just stop at mercy, he moves on to grace. He says, don't just, don't just extend mercy to Onesimus. He says, give him the gift that he doesn't deserve. He's saying, go above and beyond. And what, he's, what we know Paul is really saying here is he's actually suggesting that he knows that Philemon's actually not just going to accept him back, but he's gonna free him entirely. And so this, this moment that we see in Scripture is completely countercultural. I know it's the, the idea of slavery is countercultural for us, right? This is not something that this is, I think a lot of times you can hear this text, and I think a lot of pastors probably shy away from this text for the very reason that we're talking about slavery, and when we're talking about this text, we're not really, this text's concern is not primarily, maybe part of the concern, but it's not primarily uh, an anti-slavery uh, uh, text. What it is it's a pro-mercy and a pro-grace text. Paul doesn't even spend time worrying about unpacking the evils of slavery. What he does is he cuts right to the chase and he says, more importantly than this is your heart. More important than this is you extending grace just as grace has been extended to you. So verse 22, at the, time, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping 
that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. He wants to go see them. He wants to make it back to Colossae. Um, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So you can kind of keep that open if you'd like to. We're going we're gonna to kind of move around, but I've got a few points that I want to I want to break down as a result of this text. I know that's a lot of, a lot of text, a lot of information, but I, I, I could not find a way to really talk about only one verse out of the 25. And I was like, that's only 25. We'll get through it just fine. But the first thing that we, we all can identify with in this passage is this. We all need forgiveness like Onesimus. Every single one of you in this room, whether you realize it or not, is in need of forgiveness. I am in massive need of forgiveness. And so I, I'm just going to, I want to speak to this for just a moment. This is probably the simplest and uh, maybe, the, maybe the most hopeful uh, moment uh, or, or topic of this sermon. And it's just simply uh, a person who wronged another and is repentant for wronging that person. And we know that Onesimus actually felt guilt um, because he wouldn't have ended up at Paul's doorstep in the first place. If Onesimus wasn't a, of a repentant heart and admitting and knowing that he was wrong in what he was doing, even though it's easy to think in, in our 21st century minds that like, well, he's a slave and he's running away and this is the, you know, this is the Underground Railroad here. Paul's got to be, he's a good abolitionist. He's going to get this guy out. But that's not what we see. What we see is Onesimus is repentant. He understands the wrong that he's made. He understands his sin. And so just showing up to the door is his first step of repentance. It's seeking reconciliation. And we see this, uh, the reason Paul understood it, uh, this forgiveness, was because Paul received this same forgiveness. So Paul, who was formerly Saul, the single greatest murderer of Christians in the New Testament, until one day he encounters Jesus on, the, on a road uh, to Damascus, is blinded, and his entire life turns around and he goes from the greatest murderer of Christians to the apostle of the Christians, the apostle to the Christians, the single greatest author of the New Testament. And really, I think it's pretty easy to say that Paul is literally the second most important figure in the New Testament, uh, possibly even all of Scripture, but for sure the New Testament, second only to Jesus himself. And how did Paul get to this point? Simple, forgiveness. We all need to receive the forgiveness that Onesimus received. And the way we do that is first and foremost by repenting. And so I just challenge you this morning, maybe you're weighed down by the weight of your sin as we're singing, I raise a hallelujah um, in the middle of the mystery when I'm struggling in every high and every low. Maybe that's not your story right now. Maybe right now where you sit is you're a little bit defiant. Maybe your, your heart is a little bit hardened. Or maybe you're so overwhelmed by the consequences that may emerge as a result of your sin that you think, there's no way I could repent. I'd be ripped apart. Whatever the case is, I challenge you this morning, we all need that forgiveness, and I challenge you to repent of the sin in your life. Many of us are guilty of maybe just things that we've done wrong, but I think that one of the, one of the things uh, that a lot of us struggle with is actually the very sin of unforgiveness. And this transitions us right into our second point that we can pull from this, this passage, and it says this. We all must forgive like Philemon. So you can fill in for those of you avid note takers. That's the second point in your notes. But one of the sins that I know for a fact, having lived now, and well, I've lived in the Midwest my whole life, 
Um, I've lived in South Dakota now for about 16 years. And I would say that I, I feel like I've, having graduated from high school, gone to college here, really made Aberdeen uh, my family's home. I really believe I'm, sa I'm, I'm safe in saying this, that we kind of like to, uh, South Dakotans, maybe in particular even Aberdonians, we like to play with our, our cards close to the vest. Can I get an amen to that this morning? We like to kind of keep people at bay. Um, we maybe don't like to share. We're kind of stoic, not necessarily me, but a lot of people in this community are pretty stoic, uh, slow to speak, quick to listen, uh, maybe a little bit too quick to listen at times. Uh, but really, I think one of the struggles that we have is everybody talks and everybody's got beef with so-and-so. When in a place where you go to Walmart and you can't, you can never go to Walmart without running into at least one to ten people that you know, amen? Everyone know what I'm talking about? Well, in a community that's as tight-knit as ours is, it's really, really both difficult, um, I think, to, on face value, uh, <clears throat> not forgive people or at least come across as a, a kind person. But as a result of that, we all, you know, Rod's talked about, you, there's no one as fake as a pastor. Has, have you heard Rod say that before? It's kind of true, right? What he's really getting at is this idea of having a poker face, a political face, where it's like, hey, how you doing? And on the inside, you maybe are not as excited to see the person as you're letting on. I think we all are kind of good at that. And I think that, honestly, you, you people in this room and online and wherever you're at don't get enough credit for actually being pretty good politicians. I think a lot of us in South Dakota are pretty good at keeping our emotions inside and not outside. All you got to do is lead worship one time here at New Life to know that we're not exactly the most charismatic crew. Some people, you know, you've got those weirdos, one to five people that raise their hands while we sing songs. Uh, but I'm just kidding. You're not weird if you raise your hands. I raise my hands too. And well, I guess I, I'm, at the very least I'm saying I'm weird. But most, most of us, this is, this is kind of our comfort zone, right? Can I get an amen? This is kind of where we'd like to stay. Maybe a little sway, just a slight one. Not much though. No core engagement, just just shifting weight from foot to foot. But the truth is, is we, we don't really like to let people in. And one of the dangers of this is that we can harbor unforgiveness and maybe not even realize it. And no one maybe even realizes it. That the truth is, is on the inside, you may hate someone's guts. You may run into someone, and when you do see this, you do the, you do the, the old Walmart duck and cover. You see someone, you make eye contact quick, you look down and act like, oh yeah, I was looking at this, I'm going to pick this up, yeah, I definitely need that. And then you just kind of do this, and you know what I'm talking about, we all do it. We all do it. <clears throat> Rodney does it less because I genuinely think Rodney like, loves to see people all the time. I'm not as much of a people person as he is, but, but we all do that. We all do that. And the reason we do that is because not always, but I would venture to guess that one of the main reasons we do that is because we probably harbor some unforgiveness in our hearts. We see that person, whether it's at Walmart or Ken's or Kessler's or Runnings or wherever it may be, and we, we make quick eye contact and we duck and we hope that by some odd chance they didn't see us and so we don't have to interact with that person. I think we all struggle with this. I, I know I do. And uh, unforgiveness, sadly, the consequences are disastrous. They're eternal. And this is, I, in my opinion, the most important thing that we can glean from this text. We know Philemon forgave. Why do we know Philemon forgave? Well, we know because along with Onesimus, Paul sent, yes, the letter Philemon. We know that actually Onesimus delivered, hand-delivered this letter to uh, to 
uh, Philemon. So he took it. Imagine being in Onesimus's position. You're safe with Paul. He's forgiven you. You're probably already feeling a little bit better about yourself. You're like, maybe I don't need to go see Philemon. Maybe I could just stay with you, Paul. I, maybe I could just kind of stay here and hang out and I could just serve you. He wouldn't know. You know, we don't have cell phones yet. We don't have, you know, broadband internet. We don't have any of this stuff. So maybe, maybe he'll never know. But Paul says, no, you have to go back. I've got a mission for you, Onesimus. And he sends the letter to Philemon along with three other letters, Philippians, Colossians, uh, and Ephesians. So imagine this, Onesimus on the road back to his home that he left, that no doubt people are talking. They're saying, hey, have you seen Onesimus? No, he ran away. Oh, I always knew that Onesimus, he was a bad egg. I tell you, he must have been from Leola or something. I tell you what. We all know, we all know, and can, I think, insert ourselves into this story pretty, pretty easily. But little did Onesimus know that he carried four books of what would be the Holy Scripture that 2,000 years in the future, people in little Aberdeen, South Dakota, a group of stubborn Germans would gather together and we would be pouring over this text and finding ways to apply it to our life. I would venture to guess that not even Paul maybe would have understood the impact that this simple personal letter was going to have on the rest of history. The book and all of these books were delivered to, these letters were delivered to Philemon, and we know on some level, because they appear in Scripture, that, well, things must have gotten better. What we find out is that Onesimus, being a slave and an employee to the church leader in, in Colossae, this was super important to Paul because the future of the church in Colossae was in jeopardy. If this, if this didn't go down properly, Paul's relationship with Philemon goes down in a disastrous way. Who knows what the consequences are for the church, not just in Colossae, but in all of greater Rome, the early church, and, and even into the church today. <clears throat> the forgiveness of Philemon almost certainly had unexpected circumstances. And I think that that right there is our fine print moment. That you see that this tension that exists when, when Onesimus knocks on the door of his master's home to deliver these letters, not, not having read them, probably not even being able to read them, brings them to the door and presents them, not knowing what may happen next. He stands there repentant, and Philemon welcomes him into his home and restores him. The question I'd ask for you is what hinges on your forgiveness today? I'm not just talking about your personal forgiveness. We know what hinges on that. We all know, I think we all agree, if you're in this, sitting in this room, that we all need forgiveness. But I'd question this. What hinges on you not being willing to forgive? Is it a friendship? Is it a potential job? Your livelihood? Is it a marriage? Could we even maybe go as far to say as, could it be the church? In an age with so much disagreement, and frustration with one another, and we just can't seem to get along based on what political affiliation you have. Forgiveness seems pretty important. And I don't think you have to have lived in Aberdeen very long. If you know any ounce of church history from just within the evangelical sphere, so New Life is an evangelical church, other churches like us, just understanding the drama that's gone down underneath that umbrella, I think you're, you can be pretty quick to suggest that this is a problem in the church today. 
that there might actually be truth to the reality that people aren't willing to go to church because of the people that they're going to see. I don't know, maybe there's a reason some of you, maybe you switched from second service to first service because there's someone at the second service you're avoiding. Maybe one of the reasons that you're, you're streaming today, I'm just being, this is just the truth. Maybe the re, part, so one of the reasons you're streaming today is because going and seeing that person's face would just be too painful for you. This is a harsh reality that we walk in on a day-to-day basis, and the, the consequences are extreme. There's a famous pastor from back in the Puritan days, and he had a quote. I'm actually summarizing his quote because he uses a lot of these and those, and I, I mess those up, and I have to reread it, and it's, it's awkward. So this is, this is the watered-down uh, Midwestern South Dakota, Greg's not very smart version of his quote. Uh, Reverend Tom, Thomas Adams says this, Unforgiveness burns the bridge that brings forgiveness to you. I'm going to read that one more time. Unforgiveness burns the very bridge that brings forgiveness to you. And so the reason that Paul accepts Onesimus into his home is because he understood the very importance of just forgiving that one person. You see, Paul in this moment, this is, this is really, really powerful. Paul in this moment understood that, right, so the, part of the reason he was on house arrest was because he was waiting trial before Caesar. So two years he was, he was under house arrest, Okay. We don't know necessarily how, exactly how long Onesimus was with him. But what we do know is this. Paul was preparing a defense for Christianity that he was going to present directly to Caesar. I think we can all agree that that seems like a pretty important thing uh, to be spending a lot of time on. And so keeping a positive and clean, you know, getting out on good behavior probably was at the top of the list for Paul uh, since, you know, he already was in kind of hot water. He's wanting to represent Christianity in the po- most positive light that he can. And yet, in an opportunity where he could easily write it off, and in the name of gospel advancement, say, Onesimus, get lost. You made your bed. Get out of here. I can't be seen with you. It's too, it's too difficult of a time for you to be here right now. No. He welcomes him in knowing the cost, and it's for this reason alone. Because the integrity of small situations is more important. It is more important than massive gospel expansion. I'm not saying that we don't go tell the gospel. That would be stupid of me to say that since I'm up here talking about it, right? And Pastor Rodney talks about it. And scripture tells us that we're supposed to commit to this process of preaching the gospel. But what I am saying is this, and this is our third and final point. It's that God doesn't just tell us to speak of the cross to others. He tells us to pick it up. He tells us to pick it up. Have you counted the cost of what forgiveness will cost you? Grace is amazing when you're just receiving it. But can we all agree that it almost feels impossible to give it sometimes? Paul would have had every justification, I think, in your average Midwestern mind, well, that's just common sense. You got one slave over here, or you got 50, you know, maybe, maybe millions of people over here that are going to hear the gospel. Will you choose the millions? But Paul does not do that. Paul chooses small, simple, practical obedience to the ministry of reconciliation rather than getting in front of people and preaching to the masses. 
That's not a, that's not a, those aren't mutually exclusive. This is a yes and absolutely. But we're talking about people in the fine print. That's us, that's you, that's me. Will you forgive? With that, I just got one more story to close. Uh, honestly, I tried. I tried coming up. I know Pastor Rodney does this thing where he'll make promises that pretty much are impossible to keep. No, I'm just kidding. He does. He kind of does that sometimes. But for me, in particular, this last week he did. Uh, he told a story of one of our good friends, uh, Gabe Bruns. He wanted uh, the goal was to kind of tell personal stories of people uh, in in uh, the church. And uh, to, to be quite frank with you, I, I definitely have stories just being a pastor and being in on a lot of the drama. There definitely are stories of people harboring unforgiveness, but it's just flat out too personal to share in front of. We're not that kind of church where we're like, all right, now come up here. We're going to shame you. Get up here. Hope you brought tomatoes. We're going to throw them today, people. But we're, that's not really the kind of church that we are. But I will say this. There's, don't pretend like, people don't know that unforgiveness is happening right here in this room. Let's not pretend like that's not a reality. So, because I could, really couldn't come up with a, a story of someone um, in, in this uh, room, and, and even if I could, it, would, it wouldn't be appropriate, um, I thought I'd dip back to one of my favorite characters of modern times, a person named uh, Corey Ten Boom. Raise your hand. I, this is my only raise. Yes, you know Corey Ten Boom. I've uh, referenced her a couple times, just a couple quotes. I think she's, she was one of the most gifted speakers of all time. But just for those of you, since I only saw a few hands, I'm sure most of you at least have some idea. But Corey Ten Boom became famous uh, because of, well, one, her family's ministry of harboring and hiding uh, Jews during, um, during the Holocaust. Uh, they, they were actually a Christian family. They weren't Jewish, but they identified with their Jewish, Jewish brothers and sisters. And so they, they, and they saw the evil for what it was of the Nazi regime. And so they started hiding them. They, she's famously wrote a book, an uh, so, uh, uh, autobiography called The Hiding Place of Her Stories and Her Family's Stories of Harboring uh, Jews. She eventually ends up getting sent to uh, Auschwitz, the, uh, the, one of the worst and most grueling co uh, concentration camps, um, really one of the most horrible places in the history of the world. It's just a reality. And I don't think it takes very, very long for all of us. I think we can all probably agree the horrors of the Holocaust were terrible. But Corey's story, or, uh, Corey's story after she um, was freed, she lost absolutely every single family member in concentration camps, either on the way to concentration camps or through the concentration camps. And one of her dearest uh, sisters that she lost was right actually just a few days before she ended up being released. But I just, this is, this is her quote. I'm just going to read it. I just invite you to listen to this as we close. At a church service in Munich, Germany, where I was speaking, I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the so-called shower room door in the processing center of Ravensbrück. With the other guards, he had often run his hand over naked bodies as they went by, and responded callously to requests for help. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had ever seen after the war. And suddenly it was all there again. The heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain, blanched face. When he came up to me as the church was emptying, he said, How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. To think that as you say, he has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, but my hand stayed by my side. Angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. 
And I silently prayed, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. The story really speaks for itself, and so I'm not going to unpack too much of it. But I think it's pretty safe to say that if Corey could find forgiveness in this moment, knowing what she'd already lost at the brutal hands of evil, she didn't wait to feel it. She didn't wait to forgive until she felt it, really because if we wait to forgive until we feel it, we never will forgive. And having already lived more suffering than most will face in their entire life, probably multiple lives even, Corey had in my mind, and I'm sure in your mind as well, every reason to say get lost. But she chose to not wait and to not go back into that prison that she just came from as a result of her unforgiveness. Because the reality is our unforgiveness creates a prison. It walls and jails us in. Paul understood this, that there was no home that could keep him captive. There was no prison cell that could keep him captive because God's grace frees everybody. It breaks the chains of bondage. But unforgiveness will hold you captive and it will hold you captive for all of eternity. To miss forgiveness of others for their sins against you is to miss the very gospel itself. And until you step into Corey's shoes and you stand before that cross and you look up at the face of your Savior and you see blood running into his eyes as he hangs there beaten beyond recognition, as fluid fills up his lungs, he looks you in the eye and your eyes meet and he says to you, I forgive you. He says to you, I love you. He says, paid in full. Put it on my account. So my challenge to you this morning is simple. It's a challenge that we all hopefully can respond to. It's this. Will you forgive? Will you be the hands and feet of Jesus? Are you committed, yes, to telling people about the cross, but are you willing to pick it up? Let's pray this morning. Would you bow with me? Father, as we just count the cost this morning, we look at the suffering that <clears throat> you bore Jesus on the cross. And we pause this morning just to remember that we were forgiven much and so we're called to forgive. God, would you would you do a work on our heart? Would we leave this place not the same? God, if, would, we, would we seek out my challenge, God? Would you prompt, uh, create, just set up divine appointments and through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you set up uh, opportunities for people to pursue reconciliation in this community? God, would we see revival as a result of our radical forgiveness of other people's sins that trespass against us? God, would you help us to take seriously the call of the gospel 
to lay our life down. And maybe it's just one person that we have an impact, God. We look at the people of the fine print. We identify as people in the fine print, God. We ask this morning for your grace and your mercy so that we can share it with others. We pray this all in your matchless name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.